I'm John Talmage. I'm one of the tenants here at Old Parkland, a longtime friend of Harlan's. And the first thing I want to do is uh, say thank you, Mr. Crow. We'd like to welcome everyone here today. We're pleased that we have such a great group, and this has been such an exciting tournament. Um, as you can see, uh, here on my right and left, we have our two teams competing for the championship. I'd like to introduce them. And gentlemen, when I say your name, if you just wave at the crowd, that would be, or the camera, that would be fine. Um, for the opposition, uh, Kenza Wilkes. Seb Curtis and, and Christoph Marshall. Uh, Kenza will be first opposition, uh, Seb will be second opposition, Christoph will be third opposition, and the reply will be Kenza. Uh, for the House, uh, Ryan Hillblad. First speaker, Alejo Navarro. Second. Lucas Graziano, third. And Alejo, you'll be doing the reply, correct? Very good. Our motion to be debated today. This House believes limiting civil rights to fight terrorism is counterproductive. And for today's debate, we have a distinguished panel of judges. Uh, let me introduce uh, first, and I suggest we have a round of applause for our mayor of Dallas, uh, Michael S. Rawlings. I should tell you a little bit about Mayor Rawlings. Uh, he's uh, got a background as a radio reporter, actually. He came to Dallas in 1976, so the story goes, with a couple of hundred dollars in his pocket. And he didn't think he'd stay long. Uh, over the last four decades, uh, he has proved that Dallas is truly a city of opportunity. Uh, he originally came from Borger, Texas, worked his way up from an entry-level position at Tracy Locke, and then uh, at that time was the largest advertising agency in the South. That's quite something, to become the CEO. Later, he took the helm of the world's largest pizza company, Pizza Hut, and grew it to record sales. He's done quite a lot of things. He had previously served as chairman and managing partner of CIC Partners, that's a private equity firm, and he's currently vice chairman there, uh, providing business counsel, capital, helping to grow small and mid-sized businesses in Dallas and all over the country. Uh, he's a 1976 graduate of Boston College. Uh, has served as chair of the Dallas Convention and Visitors Bureau, the city's been the city's homeless czar, uh, park board president, and uh, currently sits on the Jesuit College Prep Board of Trustees. He ran for mayor in 2011 on a platform that highlighted Southern Dallas as the city's greatest untapped resource. And then after his election, he launched Grow South, which is the mayor's signature initiative to spur economic development south of the Trinity River. He's also fought to improve public education, combat poverty, revitalize Fair Park, develop the Trinity River Corridor, elevate the city's international profile, and turn our city into a top destination for artists all over the world. He's drawn headlines across the country for his bold campaign against domestic violence, Dallas Men Against Abuse, and presided over the passage of $600 million in new city bonds for streets, for flood protection, economic development initiatives, and through all this, he's also led the hiring process for our new city manager and city attorney. Uh, we've had good economic growth during the Rawlings years. Uh, unemployment as of June 2015 has dropped uh, to 4.1% compared to 5.5% a year before. And taxable sales 
continue to rise. Property tax values increase. Uh, the property tax increase uh, went up, uh, value, tax value increase went up 7.7% over the prior year. He was reelected to his second four-year term in May of last year, beating his challenger in all but one of 14 city council districts, a district which probably will not have a lot of street improvement in the next couple of years. Just kidding, Mayor. Uh, he continues to put Dallas in the national spotlight in part through his post as an executive committee member for the U.S. Conference of Mayors. Uh, he lives right here in North Dallas. Uh, he has uh, two wonderful children, Gunnar, an educator, and Michelle, who is an artist who also uh, live here. So, Mayor, we really appreciate your being here today. Uh, Pat Fox is my good friend and longtime campus companion here at Old Parkland. He's founding manager member, founding manager member of and of Council to uh, the Rock Point Group, a global real estate private equity investment firm. Prior to joining Rockport, in Rock Point, I grew up near Rockport, Texas, so if I mix this up, forgive me. Prior to joining Rock Point in 1996, Mr. Fox was a partner at the law firm of Jones Day, where for 13 years, he practiced in the area of commercial real estate. Mr. Fox serves as a board member of the Taylor Hooten Foundation, one of the causes that's close to my own heart, and the Hill Country Conservancy. Uh, and I would say as a sidebar there, that's a visionary uh, effort uh, to, to preserve and save and enrich the beautiful Hill Country of, of Texas. Uh, he's an Aggie. He got his Bachelor of Science degree in 1980. And then he went to Austin to the University of Texas for law school and graduated there in 1983. So, Pat, as always, I'm proud to be something you're a part of. Uh, Mr. Mike Smith is Senior Vice President for Real Estate and General Counsel at TRT Holdings. Incorporated. This is a diversified holding company that manages the family investment for the Rowling family, and the holdings include hospitality, fitness, oil and gas, and other real estate and equity investments. Uh, he's also a uh, Longhorn, uh, got his BBA at the University of Texas at Austin in accounting in 1985, and his law degree there in 1991. Our moderator today, uh, Gary Kennedy, raise your hand, Gary, so everybody knows where you are, is uh, well known to Parkland Debates. I think I have it right that Gary and I were on the first committee developing the Parkland Debates uh, way back four or five years ago. Uh, he served as Senior Vice President and General Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer of American Airlines and the AMR Corporation from January of 03 until his retirement in January 2014. As General Counsel, Gary guided the airline through two of the most high-profile events in the history of the company, the 2011 bankruptcy filing and the 2013 merger with U.S. Airways. Uh, he directed efforts to obtain government approval of the merger, including the defense of lawsuits filed by the Department of Justice and multiple state attorneys general, and was called upon to testify before Congress to garner support for the merger. As general counsel, he managed the company's legal affairs worldwide, including complex commercial litigation, employment litigation, labor union disputes, and corporate transactions. So our moderator knows what it is to be in the middle of an argument. Uh, prior to his role as general counsel, he was vice president for real estate and construction at American with billions, with a B, with billions of dollars at stake. And he was the strategist and point person for the lease and construction of the company's airport facilities and their buildings worldwide. 
Uh, he's also served as a member of the board of PIMCO. Uh, he's been on uh, their valuation oversight committee and has done amazing things there. And on top of this, he's a nationally recognized leader in the field of diversity hiring and development in the legal profession. He's been a board member of the Minority Corporate Council Association and the Leadership Council on Legal Diversity, and also has served as an adjunct professor of law both at Southern Methodist University and Texas A&M University. Uh, he's been a litigator, a bankruptcy lawyer. He's lived in Salt Lake and all over the place. He's a 77 graduate, 1977 graduate of the University of Utah and a member of Phi Beta Kappa. He received his uh, Juris Doctorate degree, his law degree from the University of Utah School of Law in 1980. And he and his wife have four great children, and they live right here in Dallas. So with that, Gary, may I turn this over to you, and uh, you take it from here as our moderator. Let's have a hand for our judges, please. And I, I feel a bit like the, the fellow on, the, uh, on HBO who says, let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, this John. Is, this is going to be a great debate. Gary, take it over. Thank you. Uh, let me just take care of a couple of preliminary matters. We'll get the debate underway. Let me, for the audience's sake, and also make sure our debaters understand that uh, who will be arguing for the proposition and who for the opposition. Um, Argentina will be arguing in favor of the proposition, and England will argue against the proposition. With regard to the debate itself, there will be six initial speeches alternating among the teams, each speech will be seven minutes each. After that, two summary speeches will follow, and those will be each four minutes. Let me briefly explain the hand signals. During the first minute of each speech, I will raise my hand, indicating you cannot interrupt the speaker. After that, if you want to make a point of clarification, you may stand to be recognized if the debater so decides to do that. Um, and then also, I will raise my hand during the last minute of each speech. Once again, you cannot interrupt during that period of time. So with that, absent questions, let's begin our debate. And with that, I will uh, turn the time to Argentina and the Prime Minister's speech. hear me? Okay. Before, before I begin, I would like to thank Mr. Crow on behalf of the proposition and I thank him also on behalf of the opposition for this wonderful opportunity and for, for inviting us here today, so thank you. The year is 1984. All of our, of our fundamental rights and liberties have been taken away from us. For the greater good of society, for the greater good of all of us, we have no, we cannot, we have no rights whatsoever. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, it was 1984, it is 2017. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, the motion on, be on behalf of um, the annual proposition is, this house believes that limiting civil rights to fight Terrorism is counterproductive. But before we, we begin with our um, arguments, we'd like to clarify the essential aspects of today's motion. The first being civil rights. What are, what are civil rights? These are the rights of citizens to political and social freedom and equality. This being freedom of expression, freedom of movement, freedom of assembly, freedom of organization, and so on and so forth. And, being, and they are the fundamental pillars, denied sir, fundamental pillars to our modern societies. What is terrorism? There are acts of violence conducted by a group or individuals for religious or, politic, or political aims. And here we want to make a distinction. We either have domestic terrorism, such as could be the example of the IRA or the Red Brigades, uh, and then we have international terrorism groups such as ISIS, uh, such as Al-Qaeda and Boko Haram, and so on and so forth. And what is counterproductive, the main uh, challenge of this debate? 
that it is detrimental to our effort to fight this threat that we are all facing today. So what is the problem today, ladies and gentlemen, that over the past 15 years we have seen an incredible increase in the amount of in the amount of terrorist attacks all across the world. Societies are terrorized. So the question arises, what should we do? The Honorable Proposition will have two main burdens today, which are to show you that this does not solve the problem of international terrorism and it actually increases the danger of this act occurring. And we'll develop three main arguments. This being the propaganda war. The second one, us versus them, and the third one being our world. Now, I'm going to start with our first argument, but you disagree. Do you support limiting people's rights to privacy by searching their bags at airports? And if not, why not? Ladies and gentlemen, this, um, the limits of, of civil rights that they are proposing, for the, the right of privacy can be limitedly um, suspended, but the, the implementation of limiting rights as, as the right to expression, the right to free communications, is simply not um, viable. Now, ladies and gentlemen, strength, uh, our first main argument, strengthening terrorist groups. Ladies and gentlemen, we are playing inside of their narrative. What are they argument, arguing? That we are an oppressive society, that we do not respect religion or whatsoever. But ladies and gentlemen, here we're doing exactly what they want. We're, we're shooting their videos. Let us remind ourselves that quite recently, the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant shoot a video in which they're advertised the Guantanamo Bay, um, the prison in Cuba from the US, as an as a argument. For, so saying, these people are doing this, then we need to fight the infidel. Ladies and gentlemen, we're extending this to the outmost uh, stances, because we're limiting, for example, it can be argued that, for example, the, in the Charlie Hebdo incident, then we have to limit freedom, uh, we have to, uh, to, um, sorry, we have to limit freedom of expression in order not to offend um, other religions and so fight terrorism, that we must do massive surveillance systems in order to see what our citizens are up to and prevent um, terrorism. So basically, ladies and gentlemen, we're doing exactly what terrorists want us to do. We're recruiting their fighters in the West as we speak, denied. And, and moving on to our second uh, point, ladies and gentlemen, which is us versus them. What do we stand for in this hall, in this country, in this hemisphere, if not the civilized world? Ladies and gentlemen, we stand for freedom. We stand for the fundamental rights that were founded Sorry, that were founded in the French Revolution, liberté, égalité, and fraternité. Then, ladies and gentlemen, if we are going to be true to ourselves, then we must be true to our fundamental core values that are engraved in every constitution of a civilized country. Denied. So we cannot put this in line um, in order to quote so-called protect um, our citizens, and it doesn't even work. Why, ladies and gentlemen? Because over the past at least 10 years, the United States has been conducting a massive surveillance system, and yet, in the past denied, in the past three, in, in the past 10 years, we've had 141,836 deaths related to terrorism worldwide, and they were doing massive surveillance across the world. So not only does this go against our fundamental um, founding essence, but it also doesn't work effectively. Let us give us an example continuing with France, with the ideals of the revolution, but, ladies and gentlemen, today. France suffered a terrible attack last year in which 135 people were killed. Was their response to limit the night, was their response to limit the rights of people to spy on their communications to see what they were up to? No, ladies and gentlemen, the message of the President François Hollande was go outside, represent our values, express, uh, express what you want, have the privacy that we have so um, difficultly fought, uh, fought for. And that is what they did. They showed terrorism that we are not afraid, that we, it is us versus them. But there are some fundamental things that are not negotiable. We cannot negotiate our fundamental essence, freedom, uh, onto uh, which this very country that we're sitting in was founded. Those uh, essence cannot be 
negotiated, and as we have explained, it does not work either. So we have shown to you today that we are feeding the rhetoric of the terrorist groups. That we are, if we do this, we're going against our fundamental um, uh, um, our, our fundamental selves uh, unto which we were created and that is why we are not going to commit to uh, sacrifice our freedom. We're going to stay true to ourselves and find another way to fight this because we are the ones that are right. That is why, ladies and gentlemen, the Honorable Proposition is proud to say to you today, Liberté, Égalité, Fraternité. Thank you very much. Thank you, and the next speech will be given by the Leader of the Opposition. This needs to be clear. We live in a world with ever-growing terrorist threats, but we get a side proposition that says, if they're going to show you that limiting civil rights is counterproductive, it would be odd for them to ever support limitations on individual civil rights in order to counteract the terrorist threat. What that means in the real world is that Psy Proposition has given away our ability to deal with terrorist threats through mechanisms such as mass surveillance. The mechanisms that we have seen time and time again as the only barriers to terrorist action as the threat continues. We stand proudly under side opposition. I have two points in this speech. Firstly, I'm going to look at the question of principle and the balance of rights. And secondly, I'm going to look at counterproductive and where its threshold lies. Before we go on to that, what is our stance under side proposition? Let's be clear, my friends. Don't let them fool you in this debate. They cannot be the side that chooses to search bags at airports. They cannot be the side that chooses to investigate terrorist subjects if they believe that that is taking away their freedom to privacy. A number of things that we support under the more rational side opposition. We support, obviously, capacities to have things such as mass surveillance to see where terrorist threats currently lie. We support with a far more nuanced side that believes that there's a balance of rights and certain situations in which we're completely legitimate and impinging on individuals' rights to civil liberties in the name of the freedom of the individuals of our country. But thirdly and finally, obviously, we can have limits and regulations on these forms of mass surveillance such as already exist as checks and balances for organizations such as the CIA. Before I continue, a few points of rebuttal of what we heard from the previous speaker. So they wanted to start this debate in 1984, but I'd rather just start it in 2016. A 2016 in which we haven't seen the apocalyptic mass forms of terrorism that they want to claim and herald under their side. But furthermore, they wanted to make the claim that we are seeing increases of terrorist action, particularly in the US. That is simply untrue. Here's a fun fact. No, thank you. The same number of Americans have died from falling furniture as from terrorist threats since post 9-11. What this has demonstrated is that our ability to have organizations like the NSA have significantly decreased the ability for terrorist organizations to operate. Their second claim, they say, look, we're doing exactly what the terrorists want. This is, this is what they're trying to trick us into, getting rid of those civil liberties, which means that we can track them. Seems kind of odd to me, hopefully odd to all of you too. Clearly, we aren't helping, we are only helping terrorist organizations when we decrease our ability to deal with their threat. But secondly, we think these terrorist organizations are looking for any excuse to scapegoat the West as being the ones who are either completely illiberal or ones who are hype, or, or, or individuals who are hypocritical. They're going to find any mechanism by which to do that. So if anything, that is a wash under their side. But thirdly and finally, they said this needs to be about absolute and fundamental core values. They can't have the police state that George Orwell predict, uh, predicted. The problem is, is that that absolutist stance 
fell at our first POY. When we asked them, why is it that you're not willing to, why is it that you're willing to search bags at airports? What we think that this demonstrates is that they're willing to, in some cases, impinge upon civil liberties, not because it's counterproductive towards dealing with terrorist threats, but it's because it is the only mechanism by which we can deal with those threats that exist. Let's look firstly. Let's look at the principle and the balance of rights. We understand and decide opposition that all rights are a balance. And to limit those rights, there's obviously a very high bar that states need to pass. But we take those impinging upon rights seriously. And we tell you that in the case of the proliferation of terrorism, it is the state's duty to protect their individual's rights to life. A number of reasons as to why we think this is the case. The first of which, we need to note that terrorists do not respect those same forms of civil liberties that we as a rational United States, or England respectively, support. Before I, you know, before I continue, yes. So it's exactly this, the, the terrorist objective, to, ke- to keep us away from our core values and our core essence of rights. So, keep us away from our core values. If our core values mean that we're unable to deal with the terrorist threat, then I'm pretty sure the terrorists are the ones who are winning. We think it's unfortunate that there are some cases in which we have to restrict individuals' civil liberties. But what we understand is that our obligation and what we are trying to achieve under side opposition is maximizing individuals' right to life. That is why we support operations such as the NSA protecting our access to the fundamental civil liberties that side proposition told you were so crucial in this debate. What we need to show is that fundamentally, at the heart of side proposition's case, they are preferencing the rights of terror terrorists and their privacy over the rights of normal Americans, every individual in this room, and their right to safety. We think that's illegitimate for side proposition to foist upon us. But furthermore, we think that what is really important is we protect the fundamental rights, our rights to assembly, our rights to feel safe in our own country. And those rights are only protected when we take their stance against terrorism. That is only protected under our side and cannot be under theirs. We desire only liberty, which no honorable man relinquishes but with his life. And we think it's side proposition that creates a world in which the quality of life for both Americans and for individuals around the world are significantly impinged by an ever-encroaching terrorist threat. Let's look secondly. Let's look at why it's counterproductive, and let's look at the threshold for such an action. We think the very action... They need to demonstrate that the very action of having these limitations creates more terrorists. Why is it that they are unable to demonstrate this in this debate? We already told you about why terrorists are going to find any reason to blame these actions upon the state. But furthermore, we think that this debate is really about state surveillance. And we think mechanisms of being able to access big data means that we're more able to protect the civil liberties of more individuals. Why is this? Firstly, on the basis that we're able to actually detect the terrorist threats that face us, it is crucial that background, that uh, not wrong debate, it's crucial that we have mechanisms in place in our airports to make sure that if an individual has a bomb, we're allowed to check his bag. But it's crucial more so in that the civil liberties that they want to protect, like individuals' rights not to be discriminated against, are actually exacerbated under a system whereby we don't have access to big data. Because the real problem comes is that when your only metric of deciding who the terrorists are are their own subconscious beliefs, that is when you're most likely to force uh, prejudice onto individuals and stereotype those people. We're the side that stands for civil liberties. We stand happily under side opposition. Thank you. The next speech will be given by the Deputy Prime Minister. When our policy measures contradict the core principles, we must realize that somewhere along the line, we've made a mistake. Ladies and gentlemen, we've reached the point of no return. There is a point when we start trying. We think about limiting the civil rights of our population. We are contradicting the core values of, of the nation where we were set upon. There is when we realize that we have a problem. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the motion before us today is this House believes that limiting civil rights to fight terrorism is counterproductive. As the second speaker for side proposition, I'll continue to prove our burden that it doesn't solve the problem of terrorism and it actually increases the danger of terrorism to the main arguments that my first speaker already provided. And before continuing with the last constructive point that labeled our world in which we talk about the true principles which we must continue to abide by even in these dire situations we'd like to refute some of the points provided by the first speaker of the opposition. First they brought this curious point about the checks at airports. Now there's two responses we have for this. The first response is that we do not necessarily consider these checks at airports a violation of their privacy. Why? Because these people actually submit themselves voluntarily to these checks when they do decide to fly on airplanes. And the th second thing we would tell you is that these these violations many times, even if we consider them as violations, many times they are counterproductive. Why? We'll continue to expand this in our argument, but we believe that they are negative because there's a negative bias towards specific groups, which still creates more hate within the population, and we can see how these random checks at airports are not random at all, ladies and gentlemen. So the second point we'd like to refute about on side opposition is the fact that they're praising the NSA and they're praising mass surveillance as if it were this agency that is saving us from terrorism. We actually want to ask you if you can bring one example in which the NSA prevented a terrorist attack and I'll ask you to do that on your own time. We actually are, we are going to analyze that in our argument and we'll prove to you today that the NSA is ineffective in what they're doing and they're actually violating the rights of many many people within their own nation as well as people around the world that aren't even posing a threat to their country, or even posing a threat to their country in the name of something that is not even happening, ladies and gentlemen. That's why we believe that we are not certain that the NSA is doing anything because there's no proof. But we are absolutely certain, and if you don't believe me, you can ask Snowden, that the NSA is still violating the rights of the American people as well as the rights of many people all around the world. We believe that there are some fundamental rights that cannot be violated. It doesn't matter the situation in which we're in. And that's why we brought the example of France that even when their population, even after having suffered the attacks on their country, the president said, go to the streets. They continued with their, with their lines, with their rights, because that's what the French people believe in. They're not, they're not giving away their true values. And that's our second point. And that's our last point. Our world. I'll do three things for you today. The first, I'll prove the uncertainty factor, continuing with the case of the NSA, in which we prove that actually the NSA is not doing what they believe they're doing, and the opposition is actually wrong in saying that mass surveillance is working. And then we'll speak about two core rights that can never be violated, no matter what the situation is. So first of all, let's talk about the uncertainty factor. We have no proof that the NSA is actually doing what they're doing. They're praising the NSA, but we believe it's ineffective. We'll show you the case. After 9-11, there were 227 Al-Qaeda affiliates that were found. Of these, only 17 were accredited to the NSA, and that's after having violated the rights of hundreds of, million, hundreds of millions of people all around the world, not even only between their in their own country. It's also people all around the world. And the next thing we would tell you is that of these 17 cases that were found by the NSA, only one was convicted, only one was found to be a credible threat because that person was a cab driver that was sending money to Somalia and afterwards it was found that this cab driver wasn't even posing a threat. There was no real credible threat. So let's see what happened after 9-11. We have more terrorist attacks in the United States post 9-11 than we had before, ladies and gentlemen. There's more people dying and I don't care how many statistics you bring about furniture and killing people. What is happening nowadays is that we still have more terrorist attacks than we had before. No, thank you. And here we still have this point that if we have no proof that the NSA is actually doing anything positive for the country and we have substantive proof that they are infringing upon the rights, we, found an, we find an issue and we do not want to wave these rights away to an uncertain principle. I disagree. What mechanisms do you support for catching terrorists if you want to catch terrorists? Sir, that is not the motion we're debating today. On site proposition, we need to prove that this is counterproductive. We're not here to try to solve terrorism. We're just here to show how limiting these civil rights is not positive. For, it's counterproductive for, for the fight against terrorism. Now, moving on to the two, the two rights that we want to defend, the two civil rights that we believe are unalienable, unalienable for the population of any country. The first one is the, legal, uh, the right to due process of law. 
which is infringed upon under the status quo. Many people are sent to jail and sent to Guantanamo Bay without having due process of law, and we believe that this is completely negative and detrimental to the population. We believe that it's bad and extremely negative and unmoral to convict people that are potentially innocent. And then again, here the notion is flipped. When you're sent to Guantanamo Bay, you're innocent until proven guilty. You're, you should be innocent until proven guilty, but in, this side, in their side of the house, you're guilty until you're proven innocent. That's not what we want to stand for today. And continuing with the point on the background checks, we believe that by sending people to jail without due process of law, we're giving foot to uh, discriminatory policies in which minoritarian groups, Muslim communities will be affected harsher, uh, in a harsher manner than other groups because these are considered, uh, are considered graver threats because of uh, stereotypes. We believe that these random checks are not random at all, and we believe that this is posing a graver threat. It's just creating more hate. It's just a vicious circle in which these people, in which these people that are being targeted specifically by the United States and by other nations, because they are thought to be terrorists, is actually doing more harm than good to the population. It's going against what the United States and other countries are trying to do, which is trying to find world peace, ladies and gentlemen. It's just creating more hate, just creating more discrimination, and it's not what we want on this side of the house. The last point we'd like to bring is about privacy. We already spoke about the point that the NSA is not proven, has not proven themselves to be an effective, an effective agent of the United States. But on the other hand, we do know they're violating rights. So just compare a couple of numbers. How many people do we have in the United States right now? 300 million, 400 million people? All these people have their rights being violated day after day just because a couple of supposed terrorists are, uh, are, should, are to be found. But these terrorists are not found, and these other people have their rights violated. These are not... These are not things that we want in our population. There are many reasons why people might want to hide their browsing history apart from being a terrorist. And you can ask any teenager about this. Ladies and gentlemen, there's an issue right now and we need to solve it. That's why on this side of the house, after all this, we believe that this is not the way to fight terrorism. And we are still very, very proud to shout out that we are in favor of legalité, liberté et fraternité. Thank you so much. Thank you. The next speech will be given by the opposition. we have with side opposition's case in this debate is they've misunderstood what the foundation of the states they're trying to they're trying to protect are because whilst liberty equality and fraternity is a good slogan it's not actually what the state, what western states are founded on they're founded on a protection of the individuals who live uh, who live within them because all the freedoms they wanted to talk about on their side are only valuable at the point at which the individuals within those countries feel off, are not afraid of a terrorist threat and feel free to use those freedoms as they wish that's what we give to you on side proposition at the point at which we prevent uh, we prevent terrorism we allow people actual access to their freedoms so First, okay, firstly, let's bring to you two more points in this debate. Firstly, let's talk to you about the state of fear you create at the point at which more terrorist attacks occur and why that means people are less likely to access the freedoms that opposition thinks are so important. Secondly, let's talk about the developing world, the people who are disproportionately hurt the most by terrorism and why our right to privacy is not more important than all those other individuals' right to life. But before that, let's look at some rebuttal. So, Proposition didn't really understand their role in this debate, and that was shown when we gave them a POY on what exactly their, uh, what exact, what exactly they would do to counter terrorism. What we taught, what they didn't, is they didn't give us any answers. They gave us absolutely no solutions to the problem of terrorism, and that proves the motion in of itself. That by uh, putting these putting these rights above all else, by taking away all our ability to fight terrorism, we are counterproductive to the issue of terrorism. That is the burden they had to fulfil in this debate, and that's something they haven't fulfilled. Secondly, let's look at their principle because. Basically, they told us about how important privacy is in this debate. And we would agree, privacy is important, no thank you. 
But we gave you specific reasons why it wasn't more important than the individual's right to life, who are then hurt in the terrorist attacks that happen because your right to privacy supposedly trumped theirs. But more importantly, like, what exactly is surveillance doing in taking away your privacy? We don't think it's as big an infringement on privacy as side proposition would like to, as side opposition would like to make it out. Uh, proposition would like to make it out. It isn't the 1984 apocalyptic scenario they're talking about. It's basically reading the metadata of your emails and checking that you and, and checking that you, you aren't uh, you aren't plotting any terrorist attacks. The vast majority of Americans have faced absolutely no effect from the imposition imposition of these of these privacy regulations. There has been no effect on their freedom. There has been no, no effect on, the, on them, apart from the fact they are now far safer than they would be on side opposition. No, thank you. Secondly, they want to talk about terrorist rhetoric. Now, let's look what, let's see what terrorist rhetoric would look like if we were inside opposition's world. If we were inside opposition's world, terrorists would say instead, look, your state cannot protect you. They aren't willing to put in any, any measures at all to protect you. Because if we take side, side opposition's portfolio in that POI, they haven't got any measures to protect individuals, right? That is what terrorist rhetoric is likely to become. And we think that exists on both sides, if, if not worse, on their side. So, firstly... What is the state of fear that we create at the point in which terrorist attacks happen more? Because the big problem for their side in this debate was that civil liberties are really, really important. And you actively infringe on them by reading the metadata of individuals' emails. Now, I've already told you, while we don't think that's necessarily as big an infringement as they would like to say it is, but what we think actually happens, what's the consequence of this, is terrorists are more likely to be emboldened by the lack of checks. Because if we take them at their, if we take, if we take them at their principle and don't have security checks in airports, that's the point at which terrorists are far more likely to be able to do things like sneak bombs onto, uh, in, into planes, to coordinate things like terrorist attacks. Why do we think that's the worst possible scenario? Because as soon as you have a terrorist attack, that is the point at which all your freedoms are at their lowest. Let's look back to the days, off and the, the days and years after a tragedy like 9-11. Individuals feel they're least free. It's not because the government is taking away your freedoms by reading the metadata of your emails. It's because terrorists have been allowed into your country. Terrorists have been allowed to, uh, to, to kill innocent civilians within your own country. That's the point at which people are, uh, that's the point at which people are afraid to use their freedoms. I'll take you in a minute. That's the point at which individuals are less likely to use their freedom of movement because they're afraid there is a, a, of terrorist attacks. If their problem in this debate is free freedom, they, may, they take the most freedom away from individuals by allowing the most terrorist attacks to occur. That's their issue in this debate. Go on. Precisely. They feel um, after, a after a terrorist attack <laughs> with less freedom. And you, what you're doing is precisely taking away the rest of the freedom that was left from them and taking down our, our banners of freedom. No. What we do is restore their freedom at the point which they know that this tragedy may have happened but the government can guarantee that it will never happen again. The government can guarantee that when I walk the streets of my city, I will be safe from the terrorist threat. That's the point at which people's freedom is the, mo is, is, is the, is the largest. That's the point when they feel they're most able to access that freedom. No, thank you. So, secondly, let's talk about the developing world. No, thank you. And why we think that they're very important in this debate. Because whilst we're sitting in a place like this... Often what we don't recognize is the countries where terrorism is the biggest issue. We're talking about nations like Kenya, where they have far more terrorist attacks than we, than we, than we have in other Western nations. We're, we're, uh, we're talking about nations like Nigeria, where terrorist groups like Boko Haram have massive, uh, massive power and kill huge amounts of people. The problem is is by collecting data in this country, what we do is it gives us the information that also allows us to fight terrorism in other places. Why is this? Because we can share things like the metadata of who suspected terrorists are in those countries, but, uh, in, in those countries and we can improve the situation in, in those countries. Why is that really, really important? Because that valuable information... No, thank you. I think you're out of time. That, that valuable information it is... What is, what is the difference between a terrorist attack ha happening in that country and no terrorist attack happening at all? If we can prevent things like the horrific, uh, the horrific mall shooting we saw in Nairobi, we, help, we, 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 uh, we, uh, we save the lives of so many individuals within those countries. 
ultimately, what side opposition does in this debate is they prioritise our, right our, our right to privacy, uh, our right to not to have slight, uh, small amounts of metadata taken from our emails, over the rights of every other person in every other country in the world who suffers from terrorism. That was something we were never thought was acceptable on side, proposition, uh, side proposition, opposition in this debate. And that's why we think, uh, that's why we think that uh, the, the restriction of civil liberties is not counterproductive to the fight against terrorism. Very proud to stand on side opposition. Thank you. The next speech will be given by the Deputy Prime Minister. We refuse to give in. We refuse to give in to fear. We refuse to give in to the terrorists' will. And finally, we refuse to give in to what the terrorists are fighting for here. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. For one of the last times on side proposition, we remind you the motion before us today, which is this House believes that limiting civil rights to fight terrorism is counterproductive. So let's begin by seeing what the burden was on side proposition, and this was an issue of contention uh, that the opposition brought up. So to make it clear, we had to prove that it didn't solve the problem and that it actually increases danger at the end of the day. Now, to begin with the clarification, the opposition told, came up here and told us today that we have to show, we have to bring up a solution. Now, what's the problem with this? The opposition isn't understanding the roles of the debate here today. And why is this? Because they keep asking for this solution that we're not supposed to bring up. This is not our job as a proposition because the opposition is conveniently adding burdens and we refuse to accept this. Our job is to, pr uh, to prove that this is simply counterproductive. The motion doesn't state that we should prove uh, a solution that not even countries can find nowadays. And let me remind you, mass surveillance is clearly not one of them. Therefore, we have an opposition that is already starting upon unfair grounds. Let's move on to the first point of clash, which is giving in. We have the example of France. Now, after the terror attacks, what happened? France remained strong. It didn't lock itself up and silence itself. It didn't bend to the terrorists' will. It didn't take France, uh, right, France's rights away. Fear didn't win. And this is exactly what we're trying to highlight on side proposition. This is what we're trying to fight for. We use the words legalité, égalité, fraternité because we stand by France. We stand by their core values, and not because the opposition told us that our core values are not these, no thank you. We say that we believe in what they have done after the terror attacks they suffered. We believe in the path they have taken and chosen to follow after they have suffered these massive attacks that affected their whole population. They did not give in and bend their will. No thank you. The same goes for America. The last thing we want to do, and we hope all of you agree, is that the last thing anyone would want to do is take an American's freedom away. This is the last thing on earth anyone would want to do since America is based on this itself. Now, contradicting the core values, uh, this would be contradicting the core values we all were founded upon. Now, we give in when too many innocent people are convicted and imprisoned due to wrongful information that comes from mass surveillance. And this is another point that I'm going to expand later on in the second point of clash, that is basically that mass surveillance doesn't work, no thank you, and the opposition simply couldn't prove that it does. They brought up facts about furniture, which is great, but they simply could not bring a fact that showed the percentage of terrorists that mass surveillance actually captured. So, continuing... Um, for every few that are caught uh, by limiting civil rights, millions of people's civil rights are limited and gone. This is something we do not want, and this is what proposition is firmly standing by. No thank you. Clearly, even though they wish people felt safe on the streets after being uh, under these mass surveillances, we can tell you they don't. People all over the world don't feel safe after, even after all these uh, limited civil rights, so we can see that it doesn't work and it is counterproductive in the end. Let's move on to the second point of clash, which is a question. When is it limiting? No, thank you. So, first we showed you how the NSA hasn't prevented terror attacks, and we asked you about the effective rates, the effectiveness rates, which are ridiculously low. And this is something that must be taken into account because is it justifiable if for, every per for the millions of people that are under mass surveillance, are they captured? 
No. Therefore, is it justifiable to limit civil rights in such a harsh way? The answer is once again no. Now, uh, police forces and counterterrorism agencies, no thank you, would continue to be in place because they do not necessarily limit civil rights. So this is part of an answer to the opposition's constant questions. Um, so this would not affect the civil rights. Airport checks, uh, no thank you. Airport checks, first of all, as we said, are not a limitation. Secondly, they aren't random, as we said. And third, come on. We're, the opposition is bringing up simply superficial things here. We aren't talking about simple airport and bag checks, which people voluntarily give into to be protected. We are glad they take it so lightly, but this is absolutely ridiculous. So they told, uh, they told us that the NSA really isn't that big of a big uh, that big of a deal. And what we want to ask here is how can the opposition tell us that the whole NSA, I'll take you in a second, the whole NSA wasn't a big deal when after what was revealed, what was revealed um, such revolts and protests came up. The people were absolutely enraged. Yes. If you support searching bags to help protect people, why does that not same right extend to mass surveillance? I understand your point, but the fact that in airport checks is so superficial and light, and that people actually accept to give in their bags uh, for their protection in this case, it is perfect. But for the NSA, as we have said, that they told us is not a big deal, they do not care about this, and we tell you that people were enraged after finding out what was going on in their country, it is unacceptable. They told us that the problem is terrorists entering, but they couldn't prove that limiting civil rights was productive towards this. Therefore, the opposition has failed in their very own task. They gave us the example of Nigeria and how they had surveillance, but that's great. We ask you, is it safe nowadays? No. Therefore, the answer to all of this is that in the end, it was counterproductive and it is not good to limit civil rights. That is why, through our whole case, the three main arguments, which were, first of all, propaganda, we showed that we are, fo we are following the terrorists to the doom that they have planned for us. I believe you're out of, t out of time. Um, we follow terrorists to the doom they have planned for us because they, the objective of terrorism is to bring down Occidental uh, uh, society the way it is, to bring down its core values of peace and cooperation. In our second argument, which was us versus them, we showed how we would be selling our soul to the devil, which are the terrorists in this case. Thirdly, which was our world, we showed why our rights are so important to defend in everyday life and how privacy and the due process of law are absolutely essential. So that's why at the end of the day, we are proud to shout l'égalité, égalité and fraternité, no matter what core values we stand by and no matter how important civil rights are nowadays. Thank you. Thank you. And the final speech of this portion of the debate will be provided by the opposition. Sorry. Well, side proposition will write about something. There is something which sets us apart from the terrorists. There is something which we do have core values. We do have things which we stand up for. The things that we stand up for are that we are not afraid to limit the terrorists. That we are willing to do what is necessary to protect our people and we are not afraid and we will not be intimidated by terror. I've got two points of summary for you today. First of all, I'm going to tell you on the principle, who, who, what, who delivers freedoms better? Well, I'm going to tell you why we think that's actually side opposition. Secondly, I'm going to tell you, in terms of, in terms of uh, counterproductive, what, that, what does that actually mean? Why does it not fall on their side, but on ours instead? First of all, let's have a look at the principle. They tell us, they tell us that some rights are simply non-negotiable. They said they should stand with the people of France, go out and march for these rights, right? Okay, two right. Some rights are non-negotiable. That right is the right to life. We tell you straight out of first that the right to life is the reason you have the right to vote. It's the reason you have the right to free movement. It's the reason you have the right to free expression, right? So we think once you take away that right, that most fundamental of enabling rights, we think you have nothing left. And we think that was where side opposition really fell down. But, but, but moreover, they, they, they seem to agree with us and disagree with us um, at, at, at sort of different points in their case. Because they wanted to tell us on the one hand that they, they aren't willing to conduct any kinds of privacy checks. Note how they were very unwilling to support any alternatives. 
They didn't suggest any alternatives because they realized that on their side of the motion, they can't really suggest any alternatives, to, to, given that almost everything that they were, you know, compromising civil liberty, uh, checking people's privacy, that is, a, that is compromising someone's civil liberty, right? They tell us that airport checks are voluntary, right? We think that, that, that their logic here is literally that people voluntarily give up their bags for their own protection. In the same way, we all voluntarily give up our rights for the government to not read our emails in order that we can live in a safe society where we can walk down the street without the knowledge that we might be about to be blown up. We think that's a very, that's a very, like, that's a very honourable sacrifice for us to make. We think we're very happy, no thank you, with that. But let's also look at this, this other point, which they, they tell you about due process. They tell you about sort of Guantanamo Bay. We've seen the disassembly of Guantanamo Bay, ladies and gentlemen. We think if it was true that we were living in an Orwellian dictatorship, we wouldn't have seen these rights tripped back. We wouldn't have seen people expressing their, 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 their criticisms of that and getting rid of that. But moreover, we prove to you that we are actually the ones that deliver freedom, ladies and gentlemen, because when are you afraid? When are you afraid to go outside? When are you afraid to express yourself? When are you afraid to put yourself out in the world in the most normal and mundane ways? It's when there's just been a terrorist attack down the street. It's when the terrorists are in your city, when the terrorists are in your town, when the terrorists are in your country. And ladies and gentlemen, we think that is when you feel unsafe. That is when your civil liberties are truly compromised. Not because of any government intervention, ladies and gentlemen, because of exactly the kinds of people, the horrid, horrid, horrible, uh, disgusting people which they wanted to, which both sides were against, but only one side was willing to do anything about. Right? So let's, let, um, before I move on to my second point about counterproductive, yes, let's hear it. Do you realize that you're preying on the fear of the population to pass unfair and biased policies in times of need and fear? I, I'm sorry, I, I don't see it exactly checking, pe uh, checking people's emails, reading people's texts in order to see who might be planning a terrorist attack, making a list of the people who search into Google how to make a fertilizer bomb. I don't think that's biased legislation. I think that's common sense, ladies and gentlemen. I'm proud to stand on side opposition. Right. Let's, let's look at efficacy, right? Because how is it that we protect the rights of life? They told us the NSA have been ineffective. Let's give a couple of reasons why that's probably not true. First of all, because we, we, get, we, we actually have an ability to create lists of people who might conduct terrorist attacks. Secondly, we've got an ability to stop their recruitment. If we know who they're texting, if we know where the contacts are, we can stop them from being radicalised in the first place. These are all incredibly important channels by which terrorists take place. Right? But let's look at the fundamental let's look, no thank you, at the fundamental you know, uh, dichotomy that's, if, if you will, that side proposition wanted to present. Right? They wanted to say, look, um, the NSA have done nothing, and at the same time they've limited our rights. I am incredibly sorry that, side that, that the speaker from side proposition doesn't want his parents to know that he really likes Justin Bieber and searches him into Google all the time. It's unfortunately not a reason we should all die in a terrorist attack, ladies and gentlemen, because we think that is what you do when you take away the NSA. You take away the ability of our, 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 our ability to, to stop these threats, our ability to f find out where they are happening, who's, who's doing them, and what we can do about them. We, we, we were given absolutely no alternative mechanism as to how that might be how, how, that, how that information might be found and, and, and we think that, that that's, that's information they actually they can never get and they can never act on they can never protect the populace in the way which we always wanted to do um, uh, yeah sure You've had your precious NSA for 10 years now, yet the Islamic State, Boko Haram, and Al-Qaeda are an all-time high. Then how is this working? Look, I, I, I mean, we think that the fact that there hasn't been a major terrorist attack on, on US soil since 9-11 is probably evidence for the fact that it probably is working, right? We've given you systemic reasons, time after time, that it's probably a good idea to have surveillance. Let's, let's moreover look at what actually happens if we don't have surveillance. Because the reason there hasn't been a terrorist attack is because this surveillance exists. If the terrorists know, if the terrorists know that we have, there is nothing we can do about it, that we can never search their bags, we can never scan, we scan them as they walk through airports. If they know that we can never read their text messages, we can never read their emails, we can never read their Google searches, they act with impunity, they act, with, they act without fear of retribution, they do whatever they want, and they know that there is nothing we can do about it. Let's also look at this other, this other material we were given, about sort of the, the, um, the uh, feeding of terrorist rhetoric, right? Because they wanted to be very clear about propaganda and how terrorists use our restrictions on, on civil liberties as propaganda. We think, ultimately, these terrorists hate us. These terrorists are looking for any excuse to demonize us and portray us as awful, right? We don't think there's ever a situation where the terrorists are sitting in their bunker saying, I quite like the US. You know, they're a liberal country. I don't really have anything against them. Let's not conduct those terrorist attacks. We think that's a ludicrous, that's a ludicrous suggestion for them to make. But let's also look at what they're actually doing. Their, their, their policy is nothing more and nothing less than appeasing these terrorists. If it's true that our action to limit civil liberties emboldens terrorists and emboldens their rhetoric, there are quite a lot of other things that terrorists object to that we should probably start doing. We should probably start banning Christianity. We should probably start not sending women to school because those are all things that the terrorists absolutely hate and the terrorists will, lose, will use for their rhetoric in any way that they possibly can. Right? Ladies and gentlemen, 
Quite honestly, I would much rather shoot the terrorists' videos than have them shoot us. That is the very real dichotomy that we wanted to present to you in this debate. In conclusion, let's be very clear. What we have been given is absolutely no metric for limiting what terrorist activities can do. What we gave you on our side is a set of reasons why we might now be able to tell where terrorists are, tell what terrorists are doing, tell who the terrorists are. Ladies and gentlemen, we think that without these tactics, without these tactics, we think, we think, that, we think that then the fear sets in. Ladies and gentlemen, who's next in terror? Who's next? Who's the next victim of a terrorist attack? I'll tell you who it is. It's you, ladies and gentlemen. It's all of us in this room, unless we do something about it. We will see... We saw absolutely no alternatives given by side proposition. And ladies and gentlemen, if I could drop this mic, I would. Thank you. Thank you. We will now turn to the final summary speeches. Reminder, they are four minutes each, one from each team. We'll turn the time first to the proposition, Argentina. I'm sorry. I have down the proposition first. Well, I need to get a point of clarification myself. Yes? Okay. Thank you for that clarification, and you're up. Look, my friends, this case was simple. These were common sense laws and regulations that we supported on side opposition. It's probably a good idea to check the bags of terrorists before they get onto the planes. It's probably a good idea to check the metadata of emails and text messages to ensure that terrorists are incapable to plot terrorist attacks against innocent civilians. We were the side that uses the NSA to at least deal with the terrorist threat. And they were the side that attempted to stand absolute in this debate. Attempted is the key word. Two points in this speech. Firstly, I'm going to look at the question of principle and the balance of rights that we provided you under side opposition. And secondly, does the proposition achieve their burden of proving counterproductivity? So, on the first, the principle. We recognize from the very outset, under the rational side opposition, that this debate had to be a balancing act. Because when side propositions stood up and they said, look, these, these rights are being violated, just because some of the members of Team Argentina may have dodgy search histories doesn't mean that we should limit our access to fight the threats of terrorism. It's about ensuring the right to life. But not only that right to life, which we demonstrated to you on opposition, but also the quality of that life, ensuring that you feel safe on your streets and in your cities. And we told you that whilst that may include us searching your history, it means that you're most able to engage with that state that opted to protect you. They went further. They were like, look, the NSA is standing here and sealing our lives. And our question was, really? Is that really true? We told you that all we're really doing is looking through metadata. For the majority of you, the NSA is probably checking your messages now, and you would know none the wiser. But at least that is ensuring that we are protected from the possibility of a terrorist threat. But I'll tell you when the people were really outraged. They were really outraged when Edward Snowden decided to take it upon himself to decrease the NSA's capacity to deal with the terrorist threats by leaking those secrets to the very terrorists from which the NSA acted to protect us. But we told you about things such as post 9-11 sentiment. And that is when individuals are most fearing their access to their rights, their access to their lives. Here is the crucial question. It was, would you search bags? And really, the debate probably should have ended at this point because side proposition conceded that it was not only legitimate, but actually productive in, other, in us choosing to search the bags of individuals before they got onto the plane. And their justification was, look, people have opted in. Well, clearly, we have all opted into the rights of a state and therefore have equally handed over the abrogation of certain rights as a mechanism by which we protect them. That was the balance that we already struck and we already see states doing all the time. And we showed to you, under side opposition, why that was a logical extension to things such as mass surveillance, to limiting civil rights, to protect our lives. Secondly, does the proposition achieve their burden? Because they had to prove counterproductive. 
they had to show that the very act of collecting this data made it harder for terrorist operatives to act. And that is why, when they stood up with their claims of, look, the NSA has not proven to do anything, that wasn't even enough. Realistically, even if the NSA had done nothing, they had to show that the NSA did worse than nothing. But furthermore, we gave you so many reasons as to why, given the fact that there hasn't been another major terrorist strike post 9-11 through the Patriot Act, through the actions of the NSA to protect ordinary Americans like the ones that fill this room. We think that is crucial to our ability to continue to access the civil rights that Psy Proposition wanted to pretend that they protected. We were the side that stood firm. We stood firm on our balance to ensure that we protected the lives of the people. We stand happily under side opposition. Thank you, and now we will hear from the proposition. It doesn't matter what he offers. We're not selling our souls to the devil. One last time for side proposition, the motion before us today is this House believes that limiting civil rights to fight terrorism is counterproductive. Before we begin with the three points of class we found in this debate, we'd like to restate the burden side proposition needed to prove in order to win this debate. In order to prove that it was counterproductive in the fight against terrorism, we need to prove First, that it doesn't solve the problem, and second, that it increases danger. We do not need to find a solution for terrorism. Ladies and gentlemen, the United Nations hasn't found a solution against terrorism. We can't expect three kids from Argentina to find a solution to terrorism and just explain it to you right now in three seven-minute speeches. That's completely unreasonable. Now, the three points we found in this debate are, first, the time of need. Second, the negative precedent. And third, since this was the main point, the mass surveillance. So let's start with the first one. On times of need. We believe that we are violating, since we are violating the rights of the population, we're creating fear. We, we're telling our population we've reached a point where we cannot go, we cannot abide the values that we, that we promised you when we formed our nation. We're not there anymore. We're not strong enough. We can't, we can't hold these principles. That is when we have lost the battle against terrorism. And that is not what side proposition is going to do today. Ladies and gentlemen, Let's see what happened in the United States after 9-11. Most, and if not all, of the surveillance policies in the United States were passed right after 9-11, right after the terrorist attack. And I asked this in a point of information, but this is preying on the fear of the population. Of course that after 9-11, the people of the United States of America are going to be afraid because they've just witnessed an atrocity. But they're not thinking straight. They're still in a state of they're in a state of shock, ladies and gentlemen. We don't believe that passing policy for the next 10 or 20 years is to, is to be made in that specific point in time. If you ask people nowadays what they think of the policy that was passed back in those in those days, and we see the results of the NSA, we actually see that the people of the United States of America don't agree with that same policy that was enacted, and that is showed with the Snowden case, in which they were not afraid of Snowden because he revealed and he leaked this information. They were afraid of the NSA. They were uh, mad at the NSA because they were surveilling them, they were violating their rights without telling them, and there were no tangible benefits, which the side of the opposition wasn't able to refute. They couldn't bring one example of the NSA working. They said, yeah, of course, it is working because furniture is killing more people than terrorists. But that is not enough, ladies and gentlemen. They haven't proven that the NSA has worked. We'll continue to touch on that in the last point. We believe that since it doesn't work, it's not helping, and it doesn't solve the issue. Now, the second point we'd like to bring is that we're setting a negative precedent. We're saying that there comes a point where a government is able and is justified in violating the rights of their population. We believe that there is no scenario in which a government is, is justifiable and is morally allowed to violate the rights of the population, and that's why on side proposition, down the bench, we continue to support the efforts of France. Then even if even if they were attacked by terrorists, they still, they still carried out, they, they still remained within their principles, their core values, and that's why we are proud to propose this motion. Now, we believe that we will not give in to fear, and the last thing we would say is that we talked about how these policies enacted in these times of need were biased, and they create more hate, bringing to our second burden that increases the danger. We increase the division between us and them, as the second argument provided by my first speaker. We're creating more hate, more discrimination, and that is worsening the problems. So it's not that we're just saying that the NSA isn't working. We're saying that it's actually counterproductive, because it's targeting specific people, just because of some stereotypes. Now let's talk about the last point of mass surveillance. We already said 
that it's not working. But their ideology is sound. What they say, if you check your messages and therefore you can prevent a terrorist attack, that all sounds nice. But it's not what's happening. They're checking your text messages, violating your rights, and they're not doing anything. That's what side proposition brought. We brought the example of the NSA uh, having only 17 reported cases of which one was convicted of, uh, and that one case that they found was not even a credible threat. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the NSA that is terrorizing their population. The NSA is being the, the true bad guy in this movie. For all these reasons, we are proud to shout, shout and we are proud to stand by the people of France shouting Liberté, Égalité and Fraternité. Thank you so much. Thank you, gentlemen. Outstanding presentations. Very well done. Um, audience, please join me in another round of applause for our debaters. At this, at this point, we will now adjourn to the reception area while our judges deliberate their decision. And at that point, I'll turn the time back over to John.